Socialized medicine versus private health care. There's an example of polarization. People think, yeah, socialized medicine, that's going to cure everything. Other people are like, no, private health care, it's the best way. Oh, if it were only that easy. That's a typical us and them scenario. That's not what we want. What we want is access to safe, effective, affordable medicine. Again, the, the format that it takes, whether it's semi-private, private, some kind of government program, whatever, that depends on the system itself. And we can't romanticize private health care or socialized medicine or a single-payer system or any other system. Systems are only as good as they're implemented, only as good as the people that run them, only as good as the political footballs involved in, in funding them and, and organizing them and regulating them. So let's get down to it. Now, in the United States, is a good example where private health care has run away with itself. Now, how did that happen? First, we have to take a look at some of the fantasies that private health care is too expensive and it doesn't work and socialized medicine will fix everything. Well, first of all, socialized medicine does exist in the United States. It's called the Veterans Administration. So if you're a member of the U.S. military, that is an example of socialized medicine. And we know that that is a political football where congressmen can decide the fate of veterans and their health care and how much access to care they have. So it's not a be-all, end-all. The Veterans Administration does good work, but how many benefits someone get gets, uh, how many facilities are available, the quality of those and the upkeep of those uh, facilities, it's politically charged. So that fantasy isn't necessarily true that socialized and everything will be fixed. Remember that in smaller countries like Denmark or Finland, for example, where socialized medicine is functioning well, they have systems in place, for example, where a portion of oil proceeds goes to the government and then pays for the health care. So they have a way of funding their system. It's smaller. It's a more homogeneous environment in terms of the demographics. And also remember that the corruption level tends to be smaller in these smaller systems where people know who everyone is. The United States is absolutely enormous which is why I think smaller implementations of pilot programs across a county or a state is better before rolling it out across an entire country. Um, so let, let's dial it back a little bit here. So private healthcare in the United States, up until around 1980, was relatively inexpensive. So a young family of two people, let's say, could pay 60 bucks a month for Blue Cross uh, insurance and get pretty good health care covers just about everything. Uh, the one caveat was a uh, $3 million lifetime cap. So once your healthcare passed that, it, the insurance did cut out. So that was a problem, but pretty much you were looking at a $20 to $40 copay and the rest was covered. There was no percentage due with those plans. So what happened? Well, so-called deregulation happened which is really just re-regulation or so-called healthcare reform happened. Then these are code words for uh, setting up, carving out basically monopolies and new practices. It, deregulation in and of itself is neither good nor bad and regulation in and of itself is neither good nor bad because deregulation and regulation are both basically forms of regulation where different private companies got carved up into different territories and had small monopolies 
on health insurance, um, even pharmaceutical companies went from not-for-profit to for-profit as well. Uh, HMOs, PPOs, all of this stuff got carved up and it's all done through regulation. So a complete laissez-faire deregulation is also not as good because then there were some problems uh, prior to some Obamacare reforms, for example, in Texas, where you paid a whole lot of insurance, but then when it came time to actually using it, there was just nothing there. There were policies that were useless, that by the time you met your deductible, the whole thing kicked out anyway. So there there were some, some benefits to Obamacare. It was like, I, I would say Obamacare was like putting a Band-Aid on a, on a deep wound. And it basically did prevent... Um, some major inner city, inner city hospitals from failing. There was, was some good in it. Uh, it was a relatively conservative plan. Uh, I know there, it had been tossed around to do some socialized medicine at that time, but there weren't the votes for that. And I, I'm not even convinced that that rollout would have succeeded because corruption and improper regulation could have ensued. Again, I think a smaller rollout is better and get it to work and function efficiently first. So let's uh, take a little look at that. So not-for-profits were the dominant force amongst pharmaceutical companies, health insurance companies, and a lot of healthcare provider companies that ran hospitals and clinics. Post-1980 deregulation, what happened? Okay. At that point, these moved to publicly traded, you know, stock market offerings on the New York Stock Exchange, for example. These companies move from not-for-profit to for-profit. So Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all of this stuff, Aetna, you name it, right? United Healthcare. Now, when they go to the to that stock market model of capitalism, there is an enormous pressure on growth. It's not just profit. They had to show greater profits every quarter, or the stock price declines. And that's big trouble for the company. It destabilizes the entire company and it can fail. That's just how it works. The current model of the stock market is based on growth, not sustainability. I would love to see the notion of what they call a B corporation instead of a C corporation work in the stock market where it's more of a public benefit, it's stable, it employs people, it's sustainable and creates products and services that people can use on a consistent basis. So the pressure is there. So the deregulatory allowances moved insurance companies and pharmaceuticals and healthcare provider companies into a publicly traded scenario with incredible pressure to pump out millions and then billions of dollars of increasing profit quarter over quarter. And the pressure is still there. So this drives prices up. If you don't believe me, look at pharmaceuticals. You think they're expensive and they say, well, it's the cost of development. Well, it's this, well, it's that. And you say, cross the border into Canada and buy your drugs there. It's much less, much cheaper. So there's a lot of excuses why things are so expensive. But the cost of an appointment for this, that, and the other thing shouldn't be a thousand times greater 10 years later or 2,000 times greater, or 3,000 times greater, or even 100 times greater necessarily. It's, it's far gone beyond the uh, rate of inflation or even the cost of new equipment and new technologies and development costs. It's, that's not the reality in this. So there's also legal concerns, and there really are problems where doctors 
go to school, they take on enormous loans to get through medical school. They come out and they do have a lot of liability. It's a very litigious society. And so the legal costs uh, in terms of malpractice and overhead for companies and compliance issues really is an issue. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be afforded their day in court, but this is no joke that the idea of a, a doctor hanging up a shingle in, in his house, like the old days of you knew your doctor for life, he lived in a house on a corner with a little office on the corner, you know, on the side of the house there. That it's relatively unaffordable to do that. More family practices, group practices are shielded by a larger HMO is more likely considering the overhead it costs to be a doctor in practice. And how often a surgeon is sued is is really obscene considering they really don't necessarily create all the problems that they're getting sued for, but they do need a legal team to defend themselves during the course of a career. Those are very real issues. Uh, I don't take a side on that. I'm just saying it's very expensive. So there, there are reasons why healthcare costs are going up. However, Again, the move from the not-for-profit, the nonprofit model to the publicly traded stock market model is one of the greatest drivers in costs and price inflation in the healthcare market, which makes the affordable part of affordable medicine almost out of reach. People are accustomed to paying a percentage of their bill now and so forth. Now, socialized medicine with the Veterans Administration, now they were widely underfunded for so long. Uh, it was a dogfight for certain key senators like Bernie Sanders to get better funding uh, during his tenure of running that uh, to help the veterans. And yet it's a, it is a political football. I, I don't think the veterans are properly served when a lot of the facilities are dilapidated and falling apart. And that is socialized medicine. So I don't want to over glorify it. I also don't want to speak against it. it it's a perfectly good model if run properly. It's all about how you run it, who's running it. And that has a lot to do with lobbyists. If someone who's listening can figure a way to get lobbyists out of Washington, D.C. and basically make it illegal to set up on K Street and buy off your senators and congressmen with the only voices that they hear through lobbying, I'd like to know. Because people think maybe term limits will work. But the shorter the term is, that congressman or that senator, that whoever uh, is in place, they'll come and go, but the people who remain are the people who are the lobbyists and they have more and more power, the less power you give to your elected officials. So I believe the best term limit is the vote. If you want someone to leave, you vote them out. I don't believe in just arbitrarily setting up massive term limits for congressmen or senators. I don't mind if they stay in a long time if they get voted in, that's the people's choice because the alternative is just to allow the private lobbyists to rule everything and have all the power. And by the time the senator walks in, they have a whole staff ready to hand them everything they need to know so they can get reelected and have another job when they finally get out of office. We're, we're feeding into a very weird system that way. Those are just some political concepts I have. I'm not sure if they're necessarily right or wrong, but suffice to say it is a problem that uh, lobby interests influencing the funding of both the socialized medicine in the United States, the Veterans Administration, and the Medicare single-payer system are significant. Now, the single-payer system is private health care. People pay in to the government. The government then pays uh, health care companies uh, 
to cover the service. And there are some difficulties with that where sometimes, uh, one, Medicare doesn't bargain properly for, let's say, prescription drug prices and could get better deals on bulk buying, or two, pushes prices too low and doctors don't get paid enough and they are unwilling to accept a Medicare. And don't be fooled, there are doctors making 80, 90, $100,000 a year. Now to some of you, that sounds like a lot of money. But when you think of how many years they went to college, a lot of people are halfway through their career by the time this person graduates from medical school and they graduate with $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 plus in debt. And then you want them to accept a $90,000 a year salary or $120,000 a year salary, it's not going to work. And what happens is under some of the Medicare pricing and some of the restrictions by private healthcare, HMOs, PPOs, all of this who are willing to only pay the doctor X amount per procedure, per service, the doctors wind up having to cram in tons and tons of patients in their schedule, exhausting themselves. They wind up being under the purview of that HMO or PPO, being told what they can prescribe, what they can't prescribe, what they can treat, where they can treat, how they treat it, what procedures they can do, and of course, how much they can get paid for it. As a result, is tremendous pressure and limitation on doctors themselves. This is a very complex web. I don't think a simple polarization into socialized good, private bad, or private good, socialized, you know, bad, that whole us and them model is completely inappropriate. It's piece by piece. Now, there is a way to get there. And again, always ask the question, what do we want? And again, if you want to answer with a system, socialized or private or semi-private, blah, blah, blah. System, no, no, no. What we want is access to safe, effective, affordable medicine. We can never lose sight of that. So what does that mean? In other words, let's say single mom. She works two jobs. Trying to get food on the table. Kid's crying. It's 3 a.m. Kid's got a high fever. She's scared to go to the hospital. She doesn't want to get a bill. So that comes Monday, she can't buy groceries. So she doesn't want to go to the hospital, waits it out. Maybe the kid gets in the big trouble. When that kid should have had a doctor to see them right away. We don't want that. And in fact, that will incur greater costs later as a result of critical care that might be necessary. What we want is, again, access to safe, effective, affordable medicine. It looks like the solution would be to roll back to at least the not-for-profit status for healthcare companies, insurance, pharmaceutical, all of the healthcare organizations, some socialization on some part where the government is funding clinics, and it's not really the style of Congress <laughs> to roll out small programs, small pilot programs uh, that just cover a few counties, but it sure would be nice if we could really play it out in different areas and see how we can get things done. Another way to, to really zoom in 
you take something on one at a time. Let's say headaches, headaches and migraines, okay? There's cluster headaches. There's all kinds of headaches, he headaches due to febrile and infectious disease. There's headaches, uh, like uh, generalized migraines. And zooming in on what we call non-nociceptive headaches, cephalalgia, non-pain receptor-related headaches like migraines, we could just have headache clinics, very efficient, and maybe a small copay for people who can afford it. Maybe a little buy-in is okay, so it doesn't get abused. 10, 20 bucks to get care. With the proper rollout, a simple acupuncture clinic supported by research at Harvard University, Stanford University, you name it, simply go to www.healthcmi.com, look at the news department. The research has been done. We could roll out, let's say, 100 clinics, uh, across a few counties somewhere, fund it, get people to who can afford it to pay, and uh, ten, twenty dollars a treatment, whatever, get what they need, maybe twenty, thirty visits, and at the same time, uh, you know, have forms for people who can't afford it so they can fill it out and not have to pay and have a way to fund that mechanism. What you're going to find is one, this system will work with acupuncture. It will dramatically and significantly reduce the incidence of headaches. And what that does is reduces downtime for workers and actually increases productivity in the populace. So not to mention reducing suffering, which is, it's awful. So, and pre preventing the progression of diseases that may occur and basically think of the headache more as a, a warning light, like a red light on your dashboard on the car. If an acupuncturist goes in and reverses the process that, that creates the headache, they're actually working on deeper processes that may affect, for example, the liver and kidneys and really prevent further progression of illness. So that's one way to set up specialized clinics, maybe asthma. That's another one where there is a special formula, let's say Ding Chuan Tong. I've used that formula in my own clinics 30 years and the vast majority of people with that, sometimes acupuncture, sometimes just the herbs, the vast majority of people, we can wipe out their asthma. That's not rocket science. It's been done. It's, well, and people say, well, well, if it's so wonderful, why isn't the research there? Well, go to healthcmi.com, click on news, and look at the research. Has it been done at prestigious institutions from Switzerland to the United States to Canada to Australia to Taiwan to China? Yeah, it has. The research is there. That's not in question. People might say, well, then why isn't everyone doing it? Well, guess what? For asthma, millions upon millions upon millions of people use it continually. And it works. This is a global phenomenon. And the Taiwanese healthcare system is pretty good that way. If you have asthma, they will provide you with the herbal medicine. You need to get rid of it. Pretty much we can wipe out the vast majority of asthma very quickly. That doesn't even take that much time. Then by reducing the need for steroids amongst the populace, there's a, because that's often what's given to people are different types of inhalers they may, or, or even pills that have steroids in them. We can reduce other illnesses that may result. So getting rid of asthma, and that's one way to zoom in on illnesses, not try to blanket cure everything, but to zoom in on specific things. How about heart disease? What about looking at the food system and really dealing with that. And that's a very corrupt system regulated in part by the USDA, part of the FDA, uh, 
still in some areas, partially hydrogenated oil is still legal, even though in many countries it's illegal. And we know that clogs the arteries, causing heart disease. Maybe we need to have stricter laws that essentially only allow food in food. I know that sounds kind of wild, but chemicals are very popular in food, and we have to prove them unsafe to disallow them. So there's what's called uh, the GRAS laws, the GRAS laws. Gener and GRAS is generally recognized as safe, but pretty much you can put anything in something if you give it a certain name. So if you call it spices, or you call it a vitamin, or you call it an artificial flavor or a natural flavor, the government has no way to look at what you put in there. You call it a natural flavoring, the government come in, you can show them the canister where it's located, but they're not allowed to test it, look at it in any way. And it's protected by what they call GRAS laws. There are a lot of granular problems. So it doesn't matter if you have socialized medicine, private health care, blah, blah, blah. Everybody wants to have a political system they think is so, you know, it's a romantic vision. They think it's so wonderful. But until we look at the granular level of fix this, fix that, so maybe take it on, headaches here, asthma there, maybe get rid of uh, certain chemicals we know for sure cause heart disease. Then the other idea is to do pilot programs with socialized medicine, with private healthcare, with not-for-profits, and really compare them. And, you know, for the private side, creating tax incentives for producing good results. Not just to jack up statistics, <laughs> but to actually get results. Also, on the socialized side, find systems if the government is paying people and providing these centers that work and produce patient outcomes at, at levels that are acceptable. So we need to work in kind of a mixed system. And the United States ultimately is a mixed economy. So if we roll back the time to the early days of New York City, you know, if you wanted the fire department to put out a fire, you paid them. If you wanted someone from the coroner's office to take a body away, you paid them. <laughs> you know, these were private services. Now, today's United States system, the police department, the uh, military uh, fire department, a lot of these things are socialized. And some of them are semi-private, like building roads uh, is semi-private, where the government funds it almost like a single-payer system, and then they hire private companies to build different sections of highways and things. So there's that kind of in-between state. There's the full-on government ownership, uh, let's say a fire department, but there's also volunteer fire departments and kind of mixing and matching. So we need to find what works. Again, always with that idea of access to safe, effective, affordable medicine. That's how we get things done. Not by polarizing and saying, oh, you're too left and you're too right. Uh, it does sound like I'm not a big fan of publicly traded healthcare companies. I do think that's beyond the pale. I think we're going a little too far putting it on the stock market. I think that's great for widgets, but I don't think it's appropriate for driving innovation. I think in that sense, we can have enterprise uh, zones with tax breaks for companies that want to do medical innovation, particularly with medical products uh, and new surgical devices and prosthetics and things like that. I'm very for 
really creating incredible incentives for those companies. Often those companies are heavily penalized, as it turns out, especially smaller companies. So I definitely stand for privatization. I also stand for having access for everybody. And we can achieve this, and we can achieve it affordably. Remember, it's very expensive to have unhealthy people. It's very expensive to have a massive homeless population. It's very expensive to have bad ventilation in schools causing disease. These are real healthcare problems because they spread disease and make everybody sicker. So it's not good for anybody in terms of their health. It's also not good for the productivity and health of the society itself. So again, as long as we keep asking ourselves that same old question about access to safe, effective, affordable healthcare, we can come up with solutions that produce. And then of course, you have the media machines and they will usually put out that this system or that system is working so wonderfully, but it's fake news. And that, that is a bigger issue that we're not taking on today, that how do we analyze those outcomes for those programs and go with them? But we don't have to invent the wheel. We can look at programs that already are working in communities that really are serving people and that run at a relatively affordable level. And what do I mean by that? Under private health care, how much are we really paying? Well, I drive a car. Well, guess what? You're Auto insurance covers health care. That's a cost that's built into your auto insurance policy. Well, I'm working. Well, now part of your paycheck, part of the employer is paying for workers' compensation. Well, I own a house. Oh, well, guess what? Part of your policy covers health care for people hurt on your premises. Well, I'm getting older. Well, we got Medicare for that. Well, I'm in the armed forces. Well, we got health care costs for that. And we can go down the line and we can keep listing all the types of insurance for all the types of healthcare that we're paying for redundantly over and over. In the United States, people are paying a fortune for healthcare and they don't even know it. They're paying for it two, three, four times over. So if you're in your car, great. You step out at work, great. Two different health insurances from one to the next. You pay for both, one way or the other. We need to really look at that. Why are we paying tax upon tax and private payment upon private payment? No one's really necessarily looking at the fact that there is a myriad of private health care insurances that we are paying already. So the costs are already there. We're already paying. So if we want to boil that down to a small copay privately, or we want to have uh, government centers that are funded, they actually might be cheaper than the systems that are in place already. So we could do something like carve out asthma or carve out headache and just make that something that's just covered, right? Uh, or emergency medicine, that's going to be an expensive one. And that requires very innovative solutions to keep that going. But we can do that and we can work together and we can take on another in other discussions, things like corruption, systems, how to organize something with accountability, those are going to be some deeper issues. If you want to look at some of the research, though, please go to healthcmi.com, click on News, and look at some of the research. You'll find that a lot of the solutions are already there, and some of them are very affordable 
and accessible. Thank you for listening. www.healthcmi.com.